You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. Well, good evening and welcome to our evening Bible study. We're grateful you're able to be with us this evening. I know some of you are accessing this via our podcast and some of you are able to be with us live here on the uh, on the call tonight, which is also a lot of fun. We have guests tonight from a variety of states. We have Wisconsin tonight. We have a lot of Pennsylvania people tonight. We also have New Hampshire and, um, oh, I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting one or two. I think I think most of us are PA people today. Uh, but tonight we're looking at James chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12 of James chapter 5. We've been working our way through the book of James, and tonight we're talking about the concept of patience in suffering. It's an important concept, but it's not an easy concept to uh, to. Uh, to discuss or really put into practice. And so we're going to be talking about that tonight, partly from a learning standpoint, but also partly from uh, the standpoint of just the challenge that it is to actually put this into practice, because this tends to be one of the more difficult things that James encourages us to actually live out as we look at this portion of Scripture. So again, we're in James chapter 5. We're looking at verses 7 through 12, and I'll make a few comments here as we get underway. First of all, most of us, myself included, seem to want a comfortable life that isn't challenging or isn't painful. But when you look at what Scripture reveals to us, Scripture reveals that that's not something we've been promised. I have not been promised a comfortable life. You have not been promised a comfortable life. There are challenges that come our way. There are painful moments that we don't really look forward to, but they're things that we have to deal with and things that we have to endure and that's part of what life is like. And in fact, when you look at what Scripture actually teaches us, it teaches us that we should not expect to be treated any better than how Jesus was treated while he was on this earth. And I think that that's a helpful perspective for us to to really develop, because uh, when we're going through life, sometimes we can develop this woe-is-me attitude. And then we look at the experience that Jesus had while he was accomplishing his earthly ministry, and we realize that Christ's earthly ministry was not easy. Christ's earthly ministry was quite challenging and quite difficult, and throughout the course of it, he dealt with insult. He dealt with uh, conflict with people. He dealt with pain, and we're told in Scripture that basically we should not expect to be treated any better than Jesus was treated while he was on this earth. But now you may have noticed during the course of your life that there are some people that really do seem to have kind of an easy life. And one of the things that I've noticed about those that have the easiest life or the most cushy kind of life, those that have the easiest lives also tend to remain the most immature. And I realize that that's a generalization as I make that statement, but it does tend to be generally true. Those who have the easiest lives also tend to remain the most immature. There's something about trials, there's something about tests There's something about suffering that helps us grow spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. Uh, I was reading a book recently that was talking about how a person develops kind of a sense of personal grit 
And how do they develop that sense of personal grit? Well, they, they develop that grit, that toughness, that maturity, that strength through being tested, through their trials, through suffering. And I think that that's something that we can certainly say is, is, is taught throughout the book of James, because we've seen that in a variety of ways. But we're also going to see that applied in the portion of Scripture that we're looking at together tonight. So a few things I want you to be thinking about before we start to look at the content of James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, uh, just a few kind of preliminary thoughts or questions here. First of all, are you right now going through a season of suffering? So are you in the midst of a season of suffering right now? It's very, very likely that some of us that are part of the, the live training tonight are are going through a season of suffering. We'll, we'll have a chance to share our experiences in just a little bit. Maybe some of you that are listening to the podcast right now, maybe you're going through a season of suffering. And it, it very well may be because of a mistake that you made, or maybe it's because of a mistake that someone you love has made, or maybe it's because of something that you had absolutely no control over. But as a, as a result of just living life on this earth, you're going through a season of suffering. Maybe maybe it's a result of you being outspoken in your faith in Christ. And uh, because you're an outspoken believer in Christ, maybe you've dealt with some level of suffering. Uh, either way, if so, if you're going through a season like that right now, how are you handling it? Are you growing in patience or are you starting to resent the experience that you're enduring? So I just encourage us to be thinking about some of those things this evening, because you'll see in just a moment as we get into the text, the Scripture really addresses that. And when we get into James chapter 5, again, we're looking at verses 7 through 12, we're shown multiple examples here of what it looks like to display patience in the midst of our suffering, patience in the midst of it. And I'm certain that you'll find the counsel that James offers here quite helpful if you choose to apply it. So let's take a look at some of the things that James brings up in this portion of Scripture. One of the things that he brings up in the opening verses that we're looking at tonight is the concept of being patient because Jesus is coming. So think about that. Be patient because Jesus is coming. Let's, let's look at these opening verses. They say this. James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So let's take a look at these verses here, just verses 7 and 8 of James chapter 5 for starters, because you have James telling us some vital things here. He's telling us some very important things, and he encourages us to be patient. So to be people who endure much, people who are long-suffering, he encourages us to be patient. And again, you look in this context here, he's addressing believers because he says, therefore, brothers, right? He says, be patient, therefore, brothers. And he tells us to be patient because something is on the way. And what's the on-the-way thing that he's expressing here? He's telling us that we should be patient until the coming of the Lord. So he's reminding us that Jesus is indeed coming. So he's giving us something to look forward to. He's reminding us here of uh, you know, the very thing that we should place our hope in, uh, the very thing that, that we should rejoice in, the very thing that, that we should think about on a regular basis, if not a daily basis, the fact that Jesus is returning. And uh, that's certainly something that, as a believer in Christ, I look forward to. 
And I, I want you to keep in mind the context of the people that James is speaking to here, because when you look at the verses prior to this, you have James challenging those that had power in this world, those that were wealthy, those that had prestige, those that had power. And he was challenging them to be faithful in, in, in how they used what the Lord had given to them, not to rob people, not to be dishonest. But here he seems to be uh, addressing those that deal with oppression, those who deal with suffering, those who, who are oppressed at the hands of those with power. And he's saying, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient, because the Lord's coming. And one of the things that I think he's getting at with that is the fact that all things ultimately are going to be restored. All things are going to experience justice. One of the things that frustrates me most during the course of, of our time here on this earth is seeing people get away with unjust or dishonest things. It's very troubling. And when you see it take place, it's, it, it's easy at times to feel powerless to do anything about it. And it feels frustrating. And when you feel like you're the person who's being taken advantage of, it's particularly frustrating. And that's the context that James is speaking into. He's talking to a group of people who feel like they're being taken advantage of and treated poorly. And he's reminding them that the day is coming when Jesus is returning, and he's going to right every wrong, and all truth is going to be brought to light, and all falsehood is going to be brought to light, and he's going to, to bring restoration where people have, have uh, ultimately tried to hurt other people or bring decimation. And James gives an example here that many of the people in his original audience would certainly be familiar with, and I think most of us would, would find this to be a very familiar thought as well. But he talks about farmers, and he says, as an example of patience, he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. So you have a farmer taking care of the land, making investments in the land, planting things, watering things, fertilizing things, caring for things, watching out for pests, doing all the things that a farmer has to do in order to produce a crop. But he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. One of the things that, that we have along the side of our house, we don't have a large garden, but we have a small garden. It's a raised garden that I built for my wife a group of years ago. My sons and I, we built it for her using just a spot along the side of our house that wasn't being used for anything else. And I don't spend a whole lot of time on it. I take care of other things outside. But one of the things after building that, my wife truly enjoys gardening and planting. And and um, and it's, she just takes such delight in what comes out of that ground. And she checks on it all the time, and, and she goes out and she looks at it, and she gets excited about it. But at the same time, she's being patient, looking forward to what's coming next. And we're encouraged to have the mindset of a farmer, the mindset of a gardener, we could also say, and be to be patient about what's coming, to be patient about the fruit of what the Lord is ultimately going to do. And again, James is saying here, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. And he says, you also be patient. Now, I realize that our mics are off right now, and uh, you know, in just a few moments uh, after we finish our teaching time here, please, by all means, feel free to comment on this. But I would suspect that many of us on the call tonight would confess that being patient is not something that we necessarily feel strong at. 
you know, many of us uh, do not feel like that's a strength. Many of us feel like that's something that we need to be told to be patient because naturally speaking, we struggle with patience. And so here you have James telling us as believers, be patient. And he says, establish your heart. So it's the idea of, of our hearts being firmly rooted in Christ. Establish your hearts, uh, you know, be strong for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Jesus has not told us specifically when he is going to return. All he has told us is that it could be at any time. And so you and I are to live as if the return of Christ is imminent. He's waiting. He's waiting for just the right time, but he's going to come and he's going to restore justice and he's going to care for those he loves. And so James is encouraging those who are feeling oppressed, those who are dealing with suffering, to look forward to that and to be patient because Jesus is coming. Then he goes on when you get into verse 9, and he tells us something rather useful. He encourages us to resist the urge to grumble against each other, to resist the urge to grumble against each other. Look at what he says here in verse 9. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, think about this for just a moment here. Again, I'll read it again. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So even when he says here, the judge is standing at the door, what's he getting at? You know, ultimately, he's referencing Christ yet again. He's saying, look, oh, he's going to be here soon. He's going to be here soon. And in the meantime, while your patience is being tested, don't grumble against one another. I, I will confess to you, and no one has to confess this if they don't want to, but I'll confess just for myself, that when my patience is being tested, it, it almost feels like steam is building up inside of me. And it seems like one of the easy outlets for that irritation is to grumble. So maybe I can grumble against somebody um, that I think is deserving of receiving the grumbling, or maybe I can grumble against somebody that's not deserving. I'll, I'll tell you who often tends to be a recipient of grumbling. It tends to be somebody in your life or my life who we know will love us even after we grumble against them. One of the things that uh, I've, I've realized through the years of being a pastor um, there's a couple of us that are that are in uh, vocational ministry that are on the call here, and um, I'm sure the other guys probably have the same thought or something similar. But one of the things that I've noticed through the years is because uh, because people know that I genuinely care for them, and because people know that that it's my goal to display a Christ-centered heart and a Christ-centered attitude toward them. Sometimes I have been the recipient of grumbling that isn't really necessarily targeted at me, but I become the recipient of it because I'm a safe person to grumble at. And um, and I notice that I do the same thing to other people. Sometimes I find myself grumbling, and it's not even so much the people that we would say deserve to be grumbled against, if there is such a category of people. It's usually the people in your life that are the safest, that you know will love you, even if you irritate them, that we end up grumbling against. And here you have James saying, don't grumble against one another. It, it doesn't serve any good purpose. Don't do it. You know, you're, go you're going to be tempted to do it, especially when your patience is tested or when you're hurting or when you're going through just a season of suffering. You're going to be te tempted to snap at somebody who doesn't deserve it. Don't grumble against one another. And he says, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Typically, what are we doing when we're grumbling against somebody? 
We're expressing judgment against them. We're expressing condemnation toward them. And he's saying, that's not our job. You're not the judge. I'm not the judge. The judge is standing at the door. Christ is returning. It's his job to to make these determinations. It's not our job to judge one another. And so he's saying, don't don't grumble. It's a form of judgment against another person. And usually what we end up doing when we're grumbling against somebody is we try and elevate ourselves against them. We're not comparing ourselves to Christ, and we're not comparing them to Christ. We're just basically saying, I'm better than you in this particular area, or I do something better than you in this particular area. And it's a form of condemnation, and it's a form of judgment, and it's not healthy. And so James is saying, don't do that. You know, don't don't judge somebody else and then invite judgment upon yourself. The judge is standing at the door. It's Christ whose job is to judge. It's Christ who is ultimately going to make the final determinations, not us. Our job is to represent him, but not to do his job for him. He is righteous, purely righteous. We who struggle with sin are not in any position to judge another person who also struggles with sin we should not be grumbling against one another. And so James is encouraging the church to notice that. But he's, he's saying this particularly into this context of people who are in the midst of suffering. They're suffering. And he says, don't grumble against one another in the midst of your suffering. It's not a healthy way to handle it. Well, look at what he says then when he, when he jumps us into verses 10 and 11, because here he gives us a good example. And he reveals to us something that's helpful for us to be aware of, the fact that we aren't the first people to suffer and we won't be the last people to suffer. There are plenty of those that have come before us that suffered, and there's going to be people who come after us who suffer. We aren't the first, and we won't be the last to suffer. And this is the example he gives us in verses 10 and 11 of James chapter 5. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So James here gives us some useful examples, and he wants us to remember that we're not the first people to suffer. We're certainly not going to be the last people to suffer. But sometimes when we're suffering, we feel like we're the only one. We feel like it's just us. But then he gives this example here. It's multiple examples, actually. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, so people who suffered well, and we're patient in the midst of it, he says, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So you think through the scriptures that were written prior to the time of James. By the way, James was, uh, it's believed that that's the first book of the New Testament to be written down. It's the oldest book of the New Testament. So prior to James writing this book, which is the first book of the New Testament, uh, prior to that, all you had, you you had Old Testament scripture. That's it. This is the first book of the New Testament to be written down, and you have the the Old Testament scriptures. And so, when you're thinking through the Old Testament scriptures, large sections of the Old Testament scriptures speak of the prophets, and they tell us the life and the history of the prophets. It tells us the things that the prophets endured. It it is certainly, you would say, in many respects, an honor for someone to be chosen of the Lord to be a prophet, but then you look at what their day-to-day life was like as a prophet, and it was very challenging. It was very miserable. It was, um, in many respects, not enviable at all, because they would speak the truth of the Lord to people, and they would do so in the most honest way. And typically, almost in every case, they were rejected. People rejected them. 
And most of the prophets, when you look at how their lives end, most of them were killed by people who didn't want to hear what they had to say. And so James brings them up as an example. He says, all right, as an example of suffering and patience, remember the prophets. You know, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He's saying, think about them. Think about the things that they endured. You're not the first person to suffer for your representation of the Lord in the midst of the context that that you're in. And he says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You know, we speak of them well in this era after their death, but during the time of their, their earthly lives, people often opposed them, and people sought to harm them, and people, in many respects, executed them. But we consider them blessed because they remain steadfast. And so if we consider them such a great example of patience in the midst of suffering, if we consider them such a great example of remaining steadfast in the midst of suffering, let's actually follow that example. Let's actually do something with that. That's a a, a bit of what I was referring to as we got started just a, a little while ago this evening, talking about the fact that there are examples here and admonitions that were given in this passage of Scripture, but it's easier to read these things than to apply them. And James, as he was expressing these things to the early church, recognized that these were people that were were struggling and suffering in many ways, and he was trying to give them a bit of a pep talk here and showing them that they're not the first people to deal with this, but they needed to consider the lives of the prophets who came before them as an example. And then he gives a very specific example here of Job. And it's interesting that James brings up Job, because James being the first book of the New Testament that was written, it's also believed that Job was the first book of the Old Testament that was written down. So you have you have James and Job, um, you know, just combining here in a sense, And he says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So if you remember the example of Job, uh, Job was blessed by the Lord in so many respects. The Lord blessed Job with with pretty much, you know, the nicest things on this earth. And Job was blessed with a, a, a big family. But in the midst of all of that, you have Satan requesting to oppress Job, and Satan is given limited ability to do so, but certainly uh, has a high effect on the quality of life that Job endured from that point on. And um, and Job went through all sorts of trials. And in the midst of it, even Job's wife encouraged him to just curse God and die. How about that for terrible advice? Just curse God and die, Job. Just curse God and die. That's that's the counsel he was given in, in uh, an extremely low point. And then he has his friends surrounding him, and his friends are basically acting like a bunch of know-it-alls, you know, speaking to Job as if they have all this experience and wisdom that Job doesn't have. And um, and so Job is receiving all sorts of bad counsel from the guys that he's hanging with and bad counsel from his wife. And in the midst of it, he's trying to remain faithful to the Lord and trying to trust the Lord in the midst of his suffering, even though he's wondering, why, Lord, has have you brought this? But at the same time, if this is what you've given me, I, I have to accept it. I can't just accept good from your hand and and not trials. And so he accepts it, and the Lord teaches him things through it. And the Lord gives us a powerful example that helps us as we observe what Job uh, endured. And then at the end of Job's life, Job was blessed with twice the blessing that he had at the earlier season of his life. The Lord blessed him in many ways. The Lord showed that he had a purpose for his suffering, 
and the Lord showed compassion and mercy to Job. And I want to make mention of this. If you're in the midst of suffering, so those of you on the call tonight, those of you maybe accessing the content of, of tonight's teaching through the podcast, recognize that just like Job, if the Lord is allowing you to go through a season of suffering, he has a purpose for it. He doesn't waste anything. He has a purpose. And um, we need to trust that fact. We need to accept the fact that the Lord has a purpose for what he allows us to endure and that good things will come from it. He doesn't waste a single experience that he allows us to have. And he works all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, like it tells us in Romans chapter 8. Now, one last thing that I want to point out to us tonight before we open up the mics and start discussing some of these things, and some people wonder why James made mention of this in this passage where he's talking about patience and suffering, but instead of um, debating that, I'm just going to read it, and then maybe we could talk about that in, in a little bit. But he also tells us here in verse 12 of James 5 that we're to speak with honesty and integrity. And the way he phrases it, he says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no, or he says, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And I I wonder why this is stated here, but I do think that I have an idea. I see some correlation here, and uh, we could talk about this in, in just a few moments, but again, the things that come out of our mouths very much reveal what's going on in our hearts. And so here James is challenging us to be people who speak with honesty and speak with integrity, and to be people who, if we say something, that it doesn't have to be accompanied by an oath. Uh, it doesn't have to be something where we where we invoke the name of God for someone to actually believe that what we're saying is true. He's saying simply be a, a man or a woman who who conveys a yes that means yes and a no that means no. Be somebody who, who spends a lifetime building a reputation that you speak with honesty and integrity. In fact, Jesus references this in the Gospels as well. Jesus tells us that, that we're to, to be people who have a yes that's yes and a no that's no, and to not be people that are duplicitous in our speaking. Uh, our speaking is one of the things that gives us the opportunity to represent Jesus Christ and when Jesus speaks, we trust what he says, because we know that there's no deception in his words. There's no exaggeration. There's no um, trickery or anything of that nature. And when we're speaking, we should follow the example that Christ has given us. Our yes should always be yes. Our no should always be no. When people hear us speak, they should be able to understand that we speak with honesty and integrity. Uh, those of you that are pastors on the call here, I, I'll give you an example here that I hope we'll all take to heart. I think I've, I've mentioned it one other time as well. But I remember years ago, I was talking to a pastor, uh, and pastors are always trying to find just different life examples to, to reference in their sermons that help give uh, just some further explanation to a passage. So if we have a personal story that fits with what we're speaking about, sometimes we'll tell it, or sometimes if we hear another story from someone else's life or an anecdote, we'll share it because it helps convey the teaching of a passage. I do that all the time. I actually think it's a very effective tool when you're teaching. And uh, one particular pastor confessed to me, he was, he was a pastor that's 
he was old enough to be my dad. And uh, he confessed to me at one point, he said, yeah, if I don't have a personal experience that fits with what I'm teaching on, I just make up a story. And I remember him telling me that and I was like, you just make up a story, you just make it up. And he said, yeah, I just make something up that kind of fits. And in my head, I thought that sounds like a bad idea. That sounds very dishonest. And I, I always thought to myself, well, what if somebody asks you about one of these made up stories and you don't remember the story that you made up? And I, I always kind of had this feeling that somehow that would come back to bite him. And eventually it did. And he developed a reputation in his church where people stopped trusting what he was saying from his pulpit because they started to realize that he was making stories up. I think truth always comes to light. And this guy was just making stories up. I think in his mind, he thought he was doing something useful and helpful because he was using that as a teaching tool. But I think he should have told people that it's kind of like this. It's kind of like this kind of story or kind of like this and not try and pretend that these were actual things that had happened in his life. And eventually, I think it really diminished uh, his his ability to teach and lead in his context because people no longer trusted that he was speaking with honesty and integrity. And so for us, as we're conveying truth, as we're interacting with others, as we're sharing about our walk with Christ, we need to, we need to be people who, who have a yes that means yes and a no that means no. And if something comes forth from my mouth or your mouth, people should be able to trust with confidence that it's accurate, that it's true, and that they don't have to wonder if maybe you're lying or maybe you're telling the truth. I have some people in my life that I wonder that all the time. I wonder, are they telling me the truth? Are they lying? I'm never really sure. I always feel like I have to verify it. Well, I think for us as, as believers in Christ, people should not have to have that feeling. And here, James is kind of recognizing the fact that the things that we say are going, things are going to come out of our mouths, just like he talked about grumbling. Well, speaking uh, you know, about a variety of things. This is, Things come out of our mouths when we're in the midst of suffering. Sometimes that's the way we tend to vent. And so he's encouraging us, if you're speaking, if you're saying something, let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, I'm going to pause my screen share here so I could bring everybody up on the screen again. So get ready. We're all going to come up on the screen here in uh, just a moment. Um, I'll also make mention for whether you're on our, our call live tonight or if you're listening to the podcast, I'd invite you to stop by our website, desirejesus.com, where you can find a whole bunch of resources. Right now, I actually have a free book available there called The Mind of Christ, and it's all about thinking with the mind of Christ. You can download it for free. You'll see a, a link to it right at the top of the homepage at desirejesus.com. And by all means, grab a copy of that if you don't already have a copy. But I'm going to bring everybody up on the screen here, and I'm going to stop my screen share. All right. Good to see everybody's faces again. Hopefully you can see my face, and uh, I can see your faces here. And I have a few questions for us to get our, our discussion time underway. And these are all things related to uh, some of the things that we were just looking at from that portion of Scripture. But let me, let me start off with this one. This was something I was thinking about a lot as I was preparing for tonight. And, and the first question is this, what impact does your knowledge of Christ's return have on your daily outlook? So think about that for just a second. You know, James was talking about the fact that Christ is returning. Christ is going to come. So how does that impact your daily outlook, knowing that Christ has promised to return, where he's going to right every wrong, where he's going to, to 
to ultimately accomplish what he's promised to accomplish? How does that impact um, just your daily life, your daily outlook? What do you think about that? Who wants to go first for us tonight? Who's brave? I don't see any mics unmuted yet, so somebody's got to bite. Who's going to bite? <laughs> I'll, I'll bite. All right, uh, Ian, thank you. Ian. We always need someone to break the ice, so thank you for being willing to do that. Was <laughs> Renee nudging you, too? Was she like, come on, Ian, come on? Put, no. <laughs> no? She, well, all right, all right, fair enough. All right, what do you think, Ian? What, what's your thought on that? Well, I think that um, particularly uh, when you look at a lot of the injustice in the world, um, it is helpful to when you, when you see evil deeds occurring and people benefiting from them, um, it helps me to uh, take a step back from sort of the anger that, that builds uh, with that, knowing that eventually they will face judgment from from Christ. Um, and uh, the more I read the Bible, the more that is hammered in. Yeah, that yeah the the fact that you don't have to be the one that is the justice giver. Right. You know, the 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 fact that um, I don't know, Ian, if you ever wrestle with this, um, do you ever wrestle with the the thought that that you have to right the wrongs in some way? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, hard because oftentimes you feel like you have no control over the, the situation. And so it gives uh, solace knowing that, that God is in ultimate control. Yeah. And I think that's what James is trying to get at there, too. You know, he's really trying to give us hope that the Lord is not absent from what's taking place. He sees what's taking place. Uh, And right now we deal with all sorts of issues and all sorts of problems and all sorts of injustices. But Christ is coming soon. He's going to right the wrongs. Anyone else want to chime in on that? I, I have to say, just from a personal experience, I mean, it really does help my heart in a good way to just reflect on the fact that Christ has promised to return. The fact that what I see at present isn't the way it's always going to be, that it's going to be better. Uh, anyone else have a thought or um, an opinion on that? What do you think, Don? I, I would have to say it helps me to, you know, put things into perspective or to prioritize because the stuff that may be so super important that I have to get down is so urgent today in the light of eternity and the light of Christ coming back, it, it kind of relieve some of that anxiety, stress, you know, the overwhelmingness that I can get into in my head. I kind of get really, I get peace. I, I have joy because I know he's coming. And uh, I, I say it a lot. Every single day that goes by, I'm one, one day closer to either him coming back or me going to see him. And, uh, I have to say for me, like, that's kind of what keeps me going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, it contributes to your hope. You know, your daily your daily hope. Uh, that what you were just saying there, it was something I was thinking about this morning. You know, I, I was just looking at the clock go by, and I looked up at the clock, and it was an hour later than from the last time I had looked at it. And I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's an, another hour closer to the return of Christ. It's another hour closer to when I see him face to face. All right. I, here, here's another question for us. I, I'm intensely curious uh, about your answers to this question. And I alluded to this when we were kind of teaching through the scriptures there a few moments ago. But, well, let me ask this even before I ask the question. Um, if I asked you, 
does someone come to mind when I say, is there somebody in your life who tests your patience? Raise your hand if you can think very quickly of somebody. <laughs> I know, did you notice how quickly my wife's hand went up? Do you see that? That was very quick. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I see another hand down there. All right. Okay, hands are up. So we've all got somebody we can, we can mentally envision that person's face in our mind. So my question related to that is this. What helps you stay calm and level-headed when you're tempted to grumble against those who test your patience? What helps you to stay calm and level-headed when you're tempted to grumble against those who test your patience? What do you think, Don? Go ahead. Uh, This is just something that I was just dealing with uh, moments before we got on the call. And not not to go into the person, but uh, I, I felt this as you were doing your teaching also about patience and patience being the first thing that it says you know, in Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 13 with love is patient and knowing that we're called to, you know, love God, love people, patience being the first thing in that. And probably the last thing that I, you know, have as a blessing, it's almost like uh, when I am weak, he is strong. So my patience comes from the Lord, the love. And uh, so I, I, I see it all the time because it seems like everybody he gives, he he brings into my life. Uh, we all uh, right test your patience. Is that what you're saying, Don? <laughs> Pardon me? We all test your patience. Is that what you're about to say? Well, in, in the ministry aspect, when somebody comes and they're in need, they're new in recovery, or they they come to the church, and, uh, and you know how we are as uh, fleshly beings. It's all about us. I have a, I get, well, I'll share something with you. I have a fellow that you just started coming. It's a blessing. He's been at church, and we have seven different recovery groups during the week. In fact, Friday is the only day that there's not a meeting at the church. He was at the church last night for Man Up Monday, and he was the only one that showed up. So it was just him and I. And so he was the last person I seen last night. I walked out of the house this morning to go to the 10 o'clock noon meeting, and he was the first person I seen today. And I kind of made a little reference to, you know, you're the last person I've seen and the first person I've seen. So I need some patience because uh, it, it seems like he's there. And then he was there again tonight for Truth Tuesday. It's a good thing. But for me, like, uh, I don't know. There's a proverb that says, you know, don't show up too many times at your neighbor's house or don't consider it not a blessing anymore. <laughs> but patience. Uh, Noted. <laughs> That's why yeah. I didn't visit when I was on your side of the state. <laughs> <laughs> nice. that's why i try not to talk too much on the call you know oh yeah no no i need you're one of the people i know i can i can i i won't do what i did to don to everybody else all right so don't be unless i know that you're comfortable answering questions i'm not going to just randomly pick on you uh but i know that don's pretty safe with that although i might get that wrong i don't know but we'll see <laughs> um yeah so that's that that's a that's some good examples right don yeah um, anyone else? Like, what, what helps you guys stay calm when someone tests your patience? I see Dan unmuted, so go for it, Dan. Just very simply, we're all deserving of God's wrath, so keeping that in mind keeps us grounded. Yeah, that's that's a good point to bring out, right? You know, we we uh, we all deserve. Yeah, so Dan points that out to us. We all deserve the wrath of God, and yet we're thankful to receive the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, and uh, it does help us to to keep grounded, to think that way. 
yeah, that can be a that can feed um, a desire to show patience and mercy because we're recipients of mercy. So yeah, very good, very good. Any other thoughts? What 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 helps you guys stay calm and level headed when you're tempted to grumble against someone who tests your patience? Well, I think that um, something that C.S. Lewis had written that uh, keeping in perspective that we are all uh, immoral beings versus the, uh, the sort of temporal nature of everything around us, that we relationally, it's the, mo- the most important uh, thing that we can deal with, um, that uh, that keeping that in mind helps out quite a bit. In, this, in the sense that uh, this isn't it for our relationships, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes, in the sense that, um, you know, uh, money and, and property and, and materiality is, is all temporal and that uh, everyone, whether they go to heaven or hell, are, is an immoral being and therefore this has great importance. And so it helps with patience for that. Yeah, the acknowledging our immortality, right? Yeah, the fact that um, that we're immortal. Yeah. Okay, very good. Yeah, Desha, go ahead. Desha, if I randomly called on you, would you would you uh, would that test your patience toward me, like I did? Not to my Don? patience, just my insecurity a little just bit. Your, oh, okay, all right. Well, I just I'm just That's okay though. I know you pretty well, so I thought maybe it'd be okay, but I didn't do that to you. Absolutely. Just on, I'm just picking on Don tonight. Okay, all right, go ahead, go ahead. Um, so a couple things that popped into my mind is um, I remember how patient people were with me when I first either came to my faith, when I, when I first made changes in my life uh, back in 2010. And, um, and even before that, uh, I have people that were just always um, there, you know, even if they weren't like right there Um, after I made changes in my life, I remember people saying we were praying for you. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, it just really hit me that they were actually doing something in my favor showing God's love to me. And I didn't even realize that they, that, you know, they were working on my behalf, so to speak, God was working on my behalf. And I think about how, uh, even with the people I'm working with now, some of them just can't help themselves. And then I think about, um, forgive them. They, they know not what they do, you know, just like he's forgiving me when I don't realize what I'm doing either. And, you know, I don't always practice that. I mean, I've just recently um, let some things get to me, you know, and um, I did grumble, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but um, but I think I'm back on track now, hopefully, you know, with the exception, of course, of being human. But, you know, I think when we think about when we see how God's grace just works in our favor, it just blows my mind sometimes how many times I've been forgiven and and how many mistakes I've made and I'm continually forgiven uh, through him. So why wouldn't I do that for somebody else? Um, my patience has been tested. I went through a, a period last year, you know, of a couple of months. Um, and I don't know, I don't feel like I handled things very well. I wish I could have handled them better, but at the same time I'm coming, I feel like I'm coming out the other side now. And I do see how, um, how my perspective has changed because of those circumstances. And even though I may have uh, made some mistakes through those circumstances, I do see that um, it will be used for a greater good. Yeah, that's a good see it already, and I can feel it inside already. I see God's working through it. So excellent, excellent. And and you know when you think of last year, don't you almost feel like we just need to give everybody in our lives just a complete pass? It's like, listen, all right, whatever happened last year. Complete pass. <laughs> Let's including start ourselves. Including ourselves. Including ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that that helps me too. That these are these are all good um, 
suggestions and good options. One, one of the things that, that really helps me when I feel like my patience is being tested or, or when I'm tempted to grumble against someone who's testing my patience, uh, one of the things that the Lord has been impressing upon my heart is to think through specifically the fruit of the Spirit that's referenced in Galatians 5. Because as the Holy Spirit lives within me, I'm supposed to be exhibiting that fruit. As his fruit is lived out in my life, that's that's one of the ways in which Christ is seen in my life. And so I think to myself, all right, is the fruit of my flesh being displayed in this moment, or is the fruit of the Spirit being displayed in this moment? And when I phrase it that way in my mind, it really does have a positive impact if I can think about it in time. You know, if I can think about that in the moment, it really does have um, just a positive impact on how I interact with others, because, you know, admittedly, there's people in my life, and I know there's people in your lives that, that, that can test our patience, and we can be tempted to grumble. And uh, I don't want to do that. I, 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 as best as I can, I, I want to use my words to glorify Christ. But boy, that, that's a hard one to put into practice, because it's so easy for me to grumble. And I'm sure it's so easy for, for just about any of us to grumble. How about this? Um, did the so you you recall from the scripture we just looked at James was talking about the prophets and he was talking about Job and he was talking about them as examples and so my my question for us is this uh, do the examples of suffering and patience that others have given do those examples help you so I'm just curious I mean maybe just a like a nod you know does that does that tend to help you to see the experiences of others I think that's that that's extremely helpful for me too you know, to see the experience of others. Uh, one of my, anyone here like to read biographies? Yeah, I love, I love that too. Yeah, I think almost everybody nodded their head or raised their hand, right? Um, does anyone here um, listen to podcasts that include interviews of people's lives, life story? Do you like listening to that? That That's one of my favorite things. I, I know at one point when I was feeling really, really stressed. One of the things that really helped me was to, at night when I was going to bed, I would listen to podcasts that were biographical in nature, and I would just listen to people's life story. And you begin to realize that the things you're dealing with are not unique to you. You begin to realize that everybody deals with the same thing. You know, the same the things that are, are troubling me and the things that trouble you, they trouble other people as well. Mary, I, I see you just unmuted. Uh, do you have something for us? Maybe that was an accident. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, well, my follow-up to that is this. Why do you suppose, so with that in mind, like the idea of examples, um, why do you suppose James encouraged us to remember Job? Uh, this is Job, because Job had everything t- taken from him and Mm-hmm. try to uh, uh, apply his fairness and what God's fairness should be. And he, he didn't understand or ha- have a greater understanding of it. And uh, God helped make that clear for him. And then he had a greater forgiveness for what he had done and how he would live. Yeah. And, and, and Joe, do you find yourself kind of in that same spot where you, you kind of develop a greater appreciation for what God's doing in the midst of, times of suffering just to understand that i i can't understand and that it is yeah bigger than humanity right 
yeah, it's sometimes hard for us to wrap our minds around. You know, we wonder, and maybe, I, I'm, have you ever prayed that way? Lord, what are you up to? What are you doing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I've prayed that many a time. Um, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Joe. Um, any other thoughts on that, too? I mean, you know, what, what do you what do you think? Like, what what's James trying to get at as he brings up Job? I mean, we've talked about it some, but, you know, what, what do you think the, the core message he was trying to get across there might be? Maybe even an example of choosing to praise God amidst the trials, because it seems like Job doesn't succumb to the advice of those around him to abandon that like he continues to you know say regardless i will choose you know and and that and that sometimes it is a choice you know we don't feel it we don't understand um so the emotional part isn't there but like job chose to still glorify god in the midst of it yeah that's that's a good point to bring up too making the right choice regardless of how we emotionally feel that's something just worth pausing on and just kind of thinking about for a second, because we don't, you know, at times, like when you think about what gets us in trouble most in life, well, sometimes it's reacting in, in, in an emotional way, instead of looking at something and, and saying, okay, you know what, Lord, I'm going to choose to do the right thing, regardless of how I emotionally feel right now. I'm going to submit my emotions over to your Lordship. I'm not going to try and be Lord of my emotions right now in this moment. Good. All right. I, I, I have one other question for us this evening, and uh, that's this. How do the words that we speak and the, the suffering that we endure, how do those things correlate? The words that we speak and the suffering we endure, because you have James encouraging us to be careful in that specific area. So how do the words that we speak and the suffering we endure, how do those concepts correlate? What do you think? What's the connection between the two? Because, by the way, a lot of theologians debate, you know, they wonder why James made reference to that in in James 5.12 in the midst of talking about patience and suffering. And then he starts talking about the words that we speak and our yes being yes and our no being no. And some people wonder, why is that here? (laughs) Why is he saying that here? Does this fit? with what he's talking about in these paragraphs. So what do you think? Do you, do you see a correlation between patience, suffering, and the words that come out of our mouth? I think when we're suffering, it can be the hardest to be uh, careful of the words that come out of our mouth. And so maybe, you know, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Maybe it's it, it's indicating like a intentionality of the way you choose to verbally frame what's going on in your life or what you talk about or the way you talk about it. Cause it's so easy when we're, when we're suffering, when we're struggling to, to just focus on the, the negative aspect of it um, or even to stray away from maybe what we would ordinarily in a stronger moment say that we believe. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, Don. I think uh, when we're going through uh, suffering and uh, and the words that we speak will tell where where our hearts are at. Uh, 
if if our if the words that come out through this pain and the suffering are of self pity or or uh, blaming, then you know we our hearts aren't aren't focused on Christ and and what He says in His Word about how how trials and tribulations and pain and suffering is how we grow. And uh, I don't know about anybody else, but I've been getting a real real dose of like a, a connection with Jesus when I'm going through trials and my patience and be as tested. And, and I keep hearing from revelation to he who endures to the end kind of aspect of this. And uh, so my words, do I start grumbling or do I, do I lean in and, you know, uh, call out to Jesus for help knowing that he's my, that he's my help. Or, you know, do I take it upon myself to start grumbling and moaning about the circumstance? And so I think it, the correlation is that what I speak and the words that I use in the midst of my suffering will tell you whether I'm connecting with Christ or whether I'm doing it my way and under my power. If my flesh is speaking, it's not going to be all happy, joyous, and free during suffering. But if uh, I'm going through some trials and tribulation, I still have peace. I still have hope. And I know that I'm there and Christ is there for me and with me. My words will reflect that. So it kind of, it'd be a direct, directly proportional to my surrender to Christ, how I act and what my words are in the middle of suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Do you ever think, oh yeah, Dan, go ahead. There may not be much visible correlation during the suffering, but I think after the suffering, it may change the outcome of it as to whether God says, uh, well done, or whether he says, shut your mouth and uh, be patient. <laughs> yeah. 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 Good point. Right. Cause you know, here he's, you know, you have James also talking about this from God's perspective, right. And the, the Lord, it does not want us to waste our words. He wants our, and he's holding us accountable to it, how we use the words that come out of our mouth. Um, do you ever, I mean, do you ever realize that, that one of the most, visible and clear and obvious ways that we have the opportunity to to represent Christ is through what we say. Through what we say, through our tone even, you know, through the way we interact with others, whether we we uh, edify or encourage. I mean, you know, the words people have spoken to me, those are the things that tend to have the biggest impact on uh, on many aspects of, of my life. And even, you know, you look at what, what the Lord's plan of salvation involves, he, he tells us that unless somebody goes and proclaims the gospel, unless someone preaches, how will people hear? Somebody's got to say for people to hear. Scripture tells us faith comes by hearing, right? Faith comes by hearing. And so communication needs to happen. Communication matters to the Lord. When you look at how the Lord created creation, what does Scripture tell us? He spoke it into existence. He spoke creation into existence. And so he encourages us to be people who are very cautious and very intentional about how we choose to use our words. And I think that that's particularly useful when you think about a time of, of suffering, because in those moments of suffering, we feel weak. And that's a moment for us to rely on the strength of Christ even more. We've got to rely on his strength. Not, you know, Don was saying about the idea of, of uh, when we sometimes drift toward the flesh, right? We don't want to rely on the flesh. We want to rely on the strength that Christ supplies. And so I, I do see a correlation between the words that we speak and the ways in which we endure suffering with patience. 
Very good. Well, I, I just want to say thank you so much this evening for uh, for each of you jumping on here and being part of our call. I always feel like the hour goes by like the snap of a finger. It's 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 we start and then before you know it, we're done. Um, our next get together like this, our next Bible study, and it's actually going to be the night we finish up our book of J- the book of James. We've been going through the book of James for quite some time now, and uh, and our next study will be in two weeks. So it's two weeks from tonight. That's January nineteenth. And it'll be at the same time. And we'd love to have you be part of that. If you're not on the email list, be sure to get on the email list at desirejesus.com. I will send the link out via that list. I'm going to try and use the same link that we used for tonight for the next group of Bible studies that we do. And also, always feel free to share the link with somebody else. If you know somebody else, I always love when uh, new people join us. And some of you are with us for the very first time tonight. So thank you so much for being on the uh, Bible study here. Uh, It was great to have you here. Some of you emailed me ahead of time, and I knew you were going to be with us tonight. And those of you that are listening to this recording via the podcast, never hesitate to jump on and and be on here with us live. If you're able to make it, we'd love to have you. So again, the, 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 finale of our study of James is going to be in two weeks. It's going to be on January 19th, and that'll be at 8 p.m. Eastern time. But I'll send a reminder out with the link, uh, usually the day before I send it out, and I'll send that out uh, via the email list. So if you're not on the email list, be sure to sign up, and I'll make sure to get that to you. So let's see. I'm going to take stock here of of how many places we have. We have, uh, let's see, New Jersey, Wisconsin, New Hampshire, and are the rest of us Pennsylvania tonight? Wow, lots of represent- representation from Pennsylvania. All right, so Pennsylvania won the race tonight. So uh, we got we got to get some other states represented uh, represented next time uh, as well that aren't here with us this evening. But it's so great to to have the uh, the time together with you tonight. Thank you guys for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thanks Bye-bye. everybody. Happy- Talk to you soon. Happy 12th day of Christmas. Oh, yes. As to you, Paul. Thank you. Have a great evening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, this is Dr. Doug Grotheis, host of Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about what matters most. And we are not tribal since truth is for everyone. Please join me at the Truth Tribe as I discuss the reasons for Christian faith, the Christian worldview, and moral issues such as abortion and gender ideology. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Truth Tribe on your favorite podcast app.